In November 1992, Princeton welcomed a new style of comedy. New to Princeton, at least. Improv. A student troupe called Quipfire held its first shows, centered on improvisational games like this one, in which players take turns imagining the worst person to sit next to on an airplane. Are you going to need your motion sickness bag? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, there is no motion sickness bag! I've already used my motion sickness bag. Could you hold it? Oh, I see you've used your motion sickness bag. Could I hold it? (laughs) Okay, it wasn't groundbreaking, but it was funny. And for more than 20 years, Quipfire has been building on the foundation set in the early 90s. It's become something of an institution on campus. It's also sent alumni into the entertainment industry as performers and writers, most notably Ellie Kemper, class of 2002, best known for her work on The Office and in the movie Bridesmaids, and Rob Kuttner, class of 1994, who currently writes for Conan O'Brien's Late Night Show. Last May at reunions, Paul spoke with three Quipfire alumni, Matthew David Brozick, 95, Jacob Sager Weinstein, 94, and Steve Reed, 96, about how the group got its start. According to Brozick, it all began with a videotape. We would watch a lot of episodes of the original Whose Line Is It Anyway, the British version, on a VCR, which, um, if you're listening to this, you probably don't know what that is. It's a magic box that you'd put another little, small, a smaller magic box into, and then on a third magic box, you'd see pictures. It's like Hulu, but with less freedom. <laughs> <laughs> and we, so we, we, we thought, hey, we could do something like this. It's improv comedy. You don't need anything other than talented people. And in our travels, we had met some talented people. Although, as it turned out, we had not yet met the most talented person um, I'll give you a hint. It's not Steve Reed. <laughs> and, Why am I laughing with that? <laughs> with $200 from the Dean of Students and a working name for the group, Brozick and his friends began recruiting members. At first, I'm there was a student activities fair, and we set up a table, and people would come around and say, oh, what is this quipfire? And we'd tell them we were starting an improv comedy group, and several, I won't say many, but it was more than two and probably around five or six, people would say, you have to find Jacob Weinstein. And I had not yet met Jacob. And I, we kept hearing about this guy, Jacob, who people would describe as brilliant, hilarious, hysterical, handsome, uh, Jewish, so if, um, if I can just jump and tell my side of the story, so when you guys, so uh, there was a, an activities fair in front of Firestone Library, so I got an array of colorful costumes, fake beards, <laughs> wigs, dresses, and I just kept walking by the table saying, oh, Jacob, Jacob Weinstein, oh, I love him so much, you must put him in a group. So I, it, apparently it worked. It was, well, it sort of worked, because what I kept saying to people with increasing hostility, I think is the right word, is, you know what? If Jacob wants to come audition, Jacob can come audition. We're not going to go looking for Jacob. And thank God he did. Sager Weinstein was happy to get involved. The year before, he was part of another improv group called Spray Paint, which never staged a show. He credits Brozick and other founding members, Brad Waller and Jeff Krauss, for turning their idea into an actual performing group, starting out in small venues where... Even a modest audience could fill the seats. 
But I think the first set of shows we did in the Forbes Black Box Theater, and we did five uh, shows. And I think my parents and my brothers and my grandparents were there. So that's six right, <laughs> right there. <laughs> Reed says that the group had to define its own style. When you started Quipfire and we all came in, we had to figure out what is Quipfire. Of yeah, course. And, you know, now when they have, you know, they get a few new people every year and a few graduate. And so there is a Quipfire. And so I think, you know, you see they're very quick and there are a lot of puns and there are groaners and there are non-groaners. But it's very clever and very quick. But that was a culture that kind of we all had to make that first year. That's true. There, was, know, no, there, there was, was no turnover. Everyone was new. Everyone yeah. was new. And we, we did not come in with any... Um, any great amount of experience. I had no experience as a uh, uh, comedian or as an improv anything. There, there, there are rules to improv, which I've only learned in recent years, having had nothing to do with improv in recent years. Correct me if I'm wrong, but one, one of, if not the improv rule is you don't say no, you say yes and. Yeah. Never heard of this. I'd never heard of this. And we would routinely sort of short-circuit uh, setups because we didn't like them. We'd say, oh, you know, some of, oh, why do you have a banana on top of your hat? I don't. But what I do have is this photocopy machine. You know, that terrible, terrible improv discipline. The audience didn't seem to mind. Before long, Quipfire had moved to Murray Dodge Theater, where it routinely sold out shows. We had a, we had a rule. We had a guideline. It was go for the groan. And this was... Uh, about 50% of the group adopted this guideline, and the other 50%, which I'm almost certain included you, Jacob, railed against this idea that uh, we that, that getting a groan from the audience I mean, for a um, a bad joke or a bad pun or just something that fell short of being actually funny was not not just good enough, but was good and. I, I maybe I'm maybe I'm miscrediting this to you, Jacob, but I, I think you and probably Rob Cutner, the two guys who probably understand comedy the best, would say, or at least that, the oldest. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. If nothing else, you guys are the oldest. Um, yes, the, the two of you who grew up with Sid Caesar and uh, you know, <laughs> the, the two thousand year old man, Lauren Hardy, and all the that's right, the yeah. silence. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So, so what you learned from the Charlie Chaplin school <laughs> of comedy was not to do that. That that you you did not think that was a good aspiration. I totally forgotten that discussion. I think that sort of now maybe having had more experience with improv, I I feel like. I would argue less vociferously against that because I think that that one of the things that I think make improv, makes improv work is when you're not afraid to take risks. And if if saying, "Well, I'm going to go for the groan and celebrate the groan," is a way of saying I'm not going to fear the groan, I, then mm-hmm. I think that can be freeing and a very healthy thing. Mm-hmm. So, so I think this whole this whole podcast was an intervention to get me to say you were right. Years ago. <laughs> I, that is what I've been waiting for. That's <laughs> that is why we started Quipfire. <laughs> Recent Quipfire cohorts have been turning heads at competitions, placing second in last year's National College Improv Tournament in Chicago. The founding members are proud of what the group has become. They also took some personal lessons away from the experience. Comedy, like so many things, is a, a service industry. You're, if you're not making other people laugh, then you're doing something wrong. You can't blame, you can't blame the audience for not 
liking your product, your comedy, your book, your you, you can't you can't always blame the judge for not liking your argument. While I was here, Quipfire was um, helped keep me sort of balanced and on an even keel as a person. And um, at different moments in my life, um, when things have been felt a little bit out of balance, I've gone back to improv. And so I um, and I'm I'm still performing improv. I did it in high school as a fun thing. In college, I, it was really fun, and I made great friends, and it proved to be valuable for me as a stress relief. And now that all of that, I've now carried forward, and, and it's helpful to me in my life. If you'd like to see video clips from the first Quipfire show, visit our website, paw.princeton.edu. Special thanks to Matthew David Brosick, Jacob Sager Weinstein, and Steve Reed for taking part in this podcast. We'll be covering more Princeton traditions and stories in the future. And if you have an idea for us, we'd love to hear it. You can email us at paw at princeton.edu. That's P-A-W at princeton.edu. Brett Tomlinson, digital editor of PAW, narrated and produced this episode. The music was licensed from First Com Music. <laughs>